um, and then saying that information is important to me. I want to remember it. And then we do all the hard stuff uh, that mirrors how your brain works to keep it in your head. Welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. Whether you're just starting up or scaling your software business, we interview the experts with ideas and strategies you can implement today. Now here's your host, Paul Clifford. Hi there, software entrepreneurs, and welcome to today's show. Now, uh, we're up to 21 shows now at the time of this recording, and the Disruptware podcast is doing extremely well. It's ranked well on iTunes, but it could really do with your help and support in subscribing and reviewing. Leave some comments on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find the podcast. Um, provide us some feedback. And if you haven't got time to that, I totally get that. So just go to the blog, disruptware.com, and leave a comment. Give us some feedback on what you want to to hear on the show because what we're trying to do is provide you with strategies, tips, ideas and motivation so that you can build or scale your software business and have the success that a lot of the people I have on the show um, are getting. So today, um, what I want to do is have a chat called Austin Newdecker on the show. And Austin is an ex-MIT grad. He's uh, been in Y Combinator. He's a serial entrepreneur and heavily involved in the San Diego startup scene. Now, he's um, recently launched a new product called Membrite, and it's a fascinating uh, piece of software that runs on the mobile platform. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to get him on the show to talk a bit about that and talk a bit about entrepreneurship and startups as well, because he has worked in a number of VCs and has a wealth of experience in that arena. So let's get started. Hi, Austin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's yeah, good to be on. Oh, brilliant. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, as you know, Disruptware is all about um, exploring different ideas, concepts, and strategies that really work in the real world for people who are looking to sort of start up their new business, but you know, also people who already have a product and have a software company and looking to scale. And, you know, I was particularly interested in chatting to yourself for a couple of reasons. One, because you've had a lot of experience with a few startups and, you know, some were good, some failed as well. And I think we can all learn a huge amount of um, strategies and, and, and tips and techniques of things not to do, um, you know, and I'm sure you can help us out there. Um, and also to tell us a bit more about, you know, your your new company, Membrite, and a little bit about the uh, the San Diego startup scene. So, you know, let's get, get started. Tell us a bit about yourself, Austin. What, what's your sort of background and how do you get into this world? Sure, yeah. So I actually grew up in San Diego, where I reside now. Um, but I ended up going to undergrad at uh, MIT in Boston. And there I studied electrical engineering, computers, science, and business. Um, and after that, I... I basically tried to start a company right out of school, which didn't didn't work uh, the first time. Um, we were trying to do basically podcasting for um, publications like The Economist, right? They almost have like an audio version of all their different articles. Right. Um, and uh, that was going pretty well. We, we started to raise some money, um, eventually decided to shut it down. Um, and I joined, I sold my soul and joined a, a management consulting firm. Um, and I actually really enjoyed it. I learned a lot um, working across many different big industries. After a while, I got the itch again, and I really felt like I wanted to be uh, the master of my own destiny. So 
I, I left that, went back to business school at Wharton in uh, at UPenn in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, after graduating there, um, I kind of knew I wanted to get back into startups. Uh, ended up joining a couple venture capital firms. So I joined uh, first a, a firm out in the Valley um, called Foundation Capital, just doing sourcing for them, trying to find businesses that would be relevant to them. Um, and after that, I joined a seed stage fund called Genicast Ventures that you know, works primarily on the East Coast. And uh, after that, I decided, um, okay, it's time to, to actually try to start something myself rather than investing in companies um, and started a couple, a string of startups. Uh, one was a, a smart pill bottle, which used uh, capacitance as a means to judge exactly how much medication was inside of it um, and then alert a patient and a provider when um, someone was not being compliant with their medical, medical uh, recommendation. Oh, that's cool. So, so is it like, um, so it actually sort of had a, like an awareness of how much was left in the bottle or whatever? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, on both sides of the bottle, uh, were these uh, capacitors that were judging kind of the resistance, uh, that the pills or the liquid created in the bottle. Sure. Um, and then uh, the cap was a way to wirelessly transmit that information so we could process it and then, uh, send alerts back to the patient to say, hey, grandma, you know, the blue pill is really important. You got to take it today. Yeah, yeah. Or, or to the provider to say, hey, um, you know, Johnny's uh, not feeling better because he's not taking his medication or he is taking his medication. We need to change change the medication itself. Got it. Or, or he's emptying it and filling it up with, with tea or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. So and what what um, what happened to that startup? Uh, so that startup's actually still going. Okay. Uh, my, my partner, uh, Josh, is, I think, running it really well. And I think they're in a, a couple of hospitals in the uh, Philadelphia and New York area now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think growing uh, pretty well. Excellent. And, you know, just take a step back a second. You know, you, you were working for a couple of VC companies. And mm-hmm. I think you said in, did you say in the sourcing role? So were you looking, you know, for potential things to invest in? Or were you looking for like potential funds? Yeah. Um, when you get started in VC, and, and I think that's probably a whole nother discussion to have, but when you get started in uh, VC, uh, which I, I would describe as the best job you should never take, um, I was really just trying to find companies that fit the profile of what my the first firm that I worked for wanted to see. So I was really um, you know, looking around basically the East Coast, trying to send interesting businesses to a West Coast investor. Um, and that was just kind of my way to get into the business and kind of understand better what they were looking for. Um, and then eventually, um, I found a great role working for a guy by the name of Gil Beta at um, Genicast Ventures, which is kind of a, an unknown, but I would say rock star uh, seed firm um, that's been very successful in their first uh, you know, 10 investments. And I learned a lot working kind of as his right-hand man, doing everything from this aspect to evaluating the business, what we call you know due diligence, mm-hmm. um, and then making decision on investing in them, sitting into board meetings, uh, following up with portfolio companies. So it was really the whole process uh, that an investor goes through. Got it. So I guess to form a sort of takeaway for people, what would you say were like the, the three most important things that an investor would look for? Um, and, and I guess that probably translates into what the three most important things that make a successful startup. 
Yeah, I think that that's fair. And, and I think, um, so the, the, the kind of cliched answer that you'll get, um, and I think I'll, I'll mirror it to a certain extent and then tell you why there's some exceptions. So, um, is that, you know, team and, and market, uh, matter the most in the beginning, meaning like, is this, um, a great group of people going after an interesting opportunity? Um, and hopefully there's some relevancy between the two, you know, do these people have some background or some reason why, uh, they're particularly geared to go after this opportunity Mm -hmm. and then kind of a, a distant third would be the particular idea that they have to go after that. Um, because the, the thinking generally is if it's a good team and it's a good market, um, they'll kind of pivot enough and find something that works, even if their first idea is not the right one. Um, but I'll kind of caveat that whole thing, but saying that's really important, uh, for an early stage startup. So I think that's really just getting going. Um, as you get uh, deeper into the startup and you start growing a lot of the prioritization of those things and new things start to come into the picture. Um, and so that's more about the particular product and the financials around that product, uh, whether, you know, you can acquire a customer for cheaper than, than their lifetime value is to the business. Um, and so these things kind of, uh, you know, move in the spectrum. And then it's like, can you, can you recruit talent quickly? Can you, um, learn how to be more scalable fast? Um, and so those things start to matter more as you get older. Right. Got it. So, you know, so from there you, um, you did, uh, a Y Combinator, startup, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, my next company was uh, Yelby. And then we went through the Y Combinator program in the summer of 2012. Right. And just tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So that, that company was uh, basically trying to go down the telehealth um, kind of general path. We were trying to give providers that's either doctors or nurse practitioners a way to uh, mobily chat with patients. Um, and you know, a really big opportunity, a really interesting opportunity. But as I was uh, you know, sharing with you earlier, it's it's always difficult in the healthcare space um, to find these, uh, you know, entry points. Uh, just given the regulation and kind of the large players that are existing in the space that have kind of an interest in keeping you out, um, healthcare tech companies um, are kind of made or you know made or broken very quickly in the first year or two. Right. Got it. And um, and now you're at a stage now where you've just started a new company called Membrite, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. And, and so now we're in the sort of software space. Mm-hmm. Um, and just tell me a bit about Membrite. What's the uh, what's the concept behind that? Sure. So uh, at, at a high level, at Membrite, we're trying to help people control what they remember. So we're trying to give them the tools that kind of mirror the way that your brain retains information and then give them uh, the ability to either select existing information, um, you know, whether that be input by yourself or somewhere that you find it online or finding existing content from kind of trusted content creators um, and then saying that information is important to me. I want to remember it. And then we do all the hard stuff uh, that mirrors how your brain works to keep it in your head. And you know what I loved about that? So I was talking to you earlier about, you know, how, how you went out to get your first customers on there. Cause often, you know, one of my first 
questions that I ask people, you know, how do you get your first 20? How do you get your first 50? How do you scale from there? Um, and you know, obviously yours is a brand new product, but you got an interesting story there as to how you actually got, um, people using it straight away. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the challenges with Membrite was, um, we've got this great technology, um, and we've got some really interesting ideas of how to implement it. Um, but we didn't know specifically which, you know, application of the technology was going to be best. So we started building these tests. And the first test we made was, um, hey, let's put in some content for teenagers to learn how all the rules of the road, right? So when they go to take their DMV test, they're prepared to take that test. Um, so what we did is we kind of made a really um, basic application that had that information in there and used some of the techniques we had. Um, we bought four different uh, Nexus tablets. And then I went down to the DMV for a couple days. I knew there was going to be a long line, uh, as there always is at the DMV, unfortunately. Tell me about it. I discovered <laughs> that. I discovered that as a, as a, a Londoner coming to the US and getting, getting his driving license. That was a bit yeah. of a shocker. Yeah, I'm sorry. And uh, welcome to America. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there's this long line out there and, and we, I figured, okay, um, these people are going to be waiting there with basically twiddling their thumbs. This is an excellent opportunity to get some, uh, some user feedback and, and to see if it actually works. So we took those tablets, we handed them out to people in line, and we said, hey, if you really want to pass your test that you're about to take, uh, why don't you use this tool for 10 minutes, 15 minutes while you wait? Um, it's, it's an easy interface. Just click through it with your finger. Um, and we found that A, it was easy to get them to do it because they weren't doing anything else. And B, um, the first time pass rate of these uh, 50, 100 users that we had um, went up to about 50% more. So they usually pass it about 50% of the time. They pass it about 75% of the time. And that was only using our tool for about 10 minutes. So we were pretty happy with those results. That's cool. So do you actually like, did you preload it with all the questions? Yeah, we did. Right. We, we uh, went out and got that content. We typed it in. I got it. And how did you know it was just the group that did, you know, that, that actually used your app that passed? So did you, you actually have to survey people coming out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So kind of part of the deal was uh, you can use our tablet, you can, you know, mess around, but you got to on your way out. Luckily, there was only basically one door at that place. So yeah. say, hey, hey, you, <laughs> did, did you pass or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about the poor people who didn't pass? <laughs> but you didn't <laughs> yeah. give me a tablet. Well, no. So it was interesting. The few that didn't pass um, came back out and they said, give me that tablet again. <laughs> they said, I, I, I got to practice some more. So, so they would play with it some more. They would go in and then they, they'd come out with a smile on their face. Excellent. Excellent. Did you make any sales off that? Uh, no, we, we weren't selling the right. product at that time, which it was just a great point. I mean, in some cases, you want to validate whether people are willing to pay for it. Um, and in this case, the test was more, is this effective? Does this mm. work? Mm. Um, and so we, we were able to validate that hypothesis. Okay, brilliant. So, you know, for, for a customer buying this app, then, do mm. they, um, in terms of the actual uh, content, the domain content, you know, do they buy packages of that or can they load it themselves? How, how do you actually create the content? Yeah, so so these are all uh, great questions that, like I said, were very early. So um, I can give you some initial responses, but I can't uh, be held to them, I think, in the long run, which is uh, sure. Which is the app is actually um, 
I hate to say it because it's very alpha. It's got still a lot of bugs in it, mm-hmm. but it's available right now in the Android, iPhone, and web um, versions. Mm-hmm. So you can get them on any of those and play around with it. Um, but uh, the thought eventually is, can we find content producers? So let's say, you know, Paul wants to take this interview and he wants to say, hey, Austin made, you know, five interesting points that any entrepreneur should commit to to their own mind. So whenever they're thinking about their startup, they, these things kind of come up in their head. Um, so we would allow you to kind of have a button at the bottom of your blog, which would allow a user to add that to their brain. It would go into their membrane system. And then it, the membrane system basically reminds them every day, like, here are the few things that you need to just be reminded of today, just yeah. at the time you're about to forget it. So you so basically you, you, you kind of provide the framework and you partner with content pr- providers, mm-hmm. um, put the two together and, you know, insert into my brain, please. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's, it's just a very empowering feeling because yeah. uh, it's something that we've all kind of um, given up on memory, right? We've basically said, if I, if I need a piece of information, I'll just Google it or I'll find it in my Evernote or something. Mm. But that doesn't work uh, for information we really need. You, you can't go up to someone and forget their name and then say, hold on a second while I look you up on, uh, you know, Google plus or something like that. Um, or you can't be negotiating with someone and, and then say, Hey, hold on, let me look up my Evernote, you know, five negotiating tips um, for that type of content. You just need to know it. And we take care of all the hard stuff that puts it into your brain and keeps it there. Mm, that's fascinating. Cause you know, I, and I think it's something that everyone wants is to improve their memory. I mean, I, I, and, and I think everyone, you know, I speak to will put the hand up and say, my memory's rubbish. I mean, I know mine is. Um, and I, I kind of know some techniques to improve my memory mm-hmm. or, um, or let me put it another way. I, I would know formal techniques of how to remember stuff, but it's uh, the, the issue I often have is how to switch on that engagement to ensure that I choose to remember it. And, and I guess where I'm going with that is that, you know, if I want to remember a list, then I can visually picture the items on the list sort of piling on top of each other in my head. And and if I go through that process and engage my brain to go through that process, then that list will be committed in my head. But like nine times out of ten in your everyday situation, you forget to use that technique. Right. You know? and, right. Um, and you know, so any tool like this or something that, that, that you can use on a habitual basis or form a habit out of, um, I think would be amazing for improving memory. Yeah. And, and these, like you said, there's a lot of different memory techniques out there. Um, you know, there's things called like the memory palace where you kind of picture things, you know, you picture Napoleon on a horse with a ace of cards on his head. Um, and there is mnemonics, um, and, then there's things like spaced repetition. And we're using some of these tactics, especially spaced repetition, um, in the backbone of the algorithm that drives the app and how it functions. Um, so we're basically saying we'll take care of all of that hard stuff. You just basically have to select content or pick some existing content that's in the app and say, this is important to me and I want to keep it in my head and we'll kind of help, help manage that. So we're, we're managing the brain for you. Got it. Uh, that's going to be really, really cool when that launches. How far away do you think that is? 
Um, so like I said, we've, we've kind of soft launched it, uh, yeah. kind of quiet, quietly to the, um, Apple and Android stores. Um, but I think it'll take probably a couple more months for, for us to kind of get it pretty enough and be happy enough with the product to really, to go after a larger launch strategy. Sure. I understand. Okay. Brilliant. So, um, let's move on a bit, you know, because you're in San Diego now. Mm-hmm. And you're very much part of the San Diego scene. Um, you know, what your, what are your thoughts in terms of the startup world down here now? Cause you know, everyone I talk to, you know, is just talking about how much, you know, this place is just rocking for tech startups and there's lots going on and the activity and the momentum is building and building. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I, first off, that's great to hear. Um, I always love it when, when I see an ecosystem, when I, when I came here about a year ago, I felt like there was a, there was a lot of interesting startups. There was a lot of activity happening, but it tended to be fairly siloed. It looked like, um, there were groups around town that were trying to help startups in their own kind of bubble. Um, but people weren't working kind of across groups to create a sense of real community. And if someone was kind of entering, they didn't have like an entry point into that world or they couldn't see across multiple startups to join. Um, and so uh, my experience um, both as a VC and in programs like Y Combinator um, led me and a couple other individuals in town to kind of get together and say, hey, let's change this. Let's make this uh, more of that community feel that it has in other cities. And uh, so we started a bunch of different programs that the whole main goal is to do that. There's no like owner of this StartupSanDiego.co group. It's really just entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs and building programs that are specifically aimed at um, like solving those specific needs that early stage companies uh, run into all the time. Right. And, you know, what does that involve? Do you like run workshops um, and things like that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, speaker things happen all the time around town anyway. So we didn't want to, you know, add an additional thing that was kind of not needed. Um, most of the things that we try to add are, uh, very pointed at solving specific problems. So, um, our mentorship hours, which I kind of modeled after the YC, uh, mentor hours that I had experienced are really just finding very successful, um, people in town that have kind of been through it. They've exited a company, they're investing in companies and they will sit down with you for kind of these short kind of speed dating mentorship sessions where they are focused on one particular problem that you have. Um, and so we run these events very frequently. We run them every other week. Um, and then we run once a quarter, a very big mentorship night, where we have about 30, um, 30 different mentors and maybe about 30 to 50 companies participating. Okay. And so, you know, I would go to one of these events and I'd express like my problem and I'll be partnered with someone, you know, to, to, you know, basically expose it and talk over a solution. You basically have uh, four meetings in a row, kind of like speed dating. And each of those meetings would be 30 minutes. And as soon as that meeting starts, the mentor would say, okay, you know, tell me a little, you know, three minutes about what your business is and where you're at. And then let's talk about it. Say, okay, you know, this is my startup and we're currently at this level. And right now I'm trying to figure out how I can do Facebook advertising better. And they say, great, I know about that. Let's, let's dive into it. Right. Um, I gotcha. I gotcha. Brilliant. That's fascinating. Okay. So, 
Um, and, you know, in terms of your experience, you know, what, what would you advise, um, people starting up or people scaling? You know, what, what key sort of, uh, strategies or tips can you give my audience, you know, in terms of, uh, starting up, making sure their product works and then, you know, anything in terms of scaling, in terms of getting traffic, getting conversions? Yeah. So, um, I guess I, I was steeped in the Paul Graham ethos of kind of uh, getting in front of your customers and making sure um, you find people that really love your product. And, and I think that those that's kind of worth talking about deeper, um, where I think there's a lot of uh, engineers that start companies that really believe that um, the product itself will eventually be good enough and then will kind of win the day. And uh, people will hear about it, people will share it, and uh, somehow it will kind of blow up. Um, but that's uh, extremely rare uh, for it to happen that way. It most likely happens a very different way, which is build something which is highly needed and highly loved by a very, very small group of users. So a lot of, a lot of people's time at the beginning should be spent um, both finding that group and working kind of hand in hand with that group, really trying to understand who those people are and what their needs are and filling those needs so much that those people, if you took it away from them, they would be pretty upset. Right. Um, and so they don't have to necessarily pay, but they need to have that kind of uh, visceral reaction. This product is something that is required for me now. Um, and once you find that, you can start to figure out, okay, what attributes did that community have that I think I can, you know, use the same metrics to identify a similar or approximate community that's maybe a little bit bigger. Um, and then I think scaling is all about, you know, how to identify and go after those communities um, without having to have the high level of touch that you had to have with those first couple groups. Mm. So with, if, I, if I were to make it more tangible, um, when we started Membrite, you know, we were looking for, okay, who, who are, who's going to be that group of users? Um, and we happened to come across uh, another guy in the San Diego ecosystem, and he told us that he was playing this game called, Mem uh, excuse me, called Ingress, which I had never heard of, but basically it's a geolocation game uh, based on you know, Google's Android platform. Um, and you kind of go around town and kind of claim different parts of town and, and uh, like fight the other team by, um, by placing things on the map. Um, part of that game has this glyph hacking thing where you need to know these gestures. And we had seen that other people that had used our application were reviewing, let's say, 20 different pieces of information a day. So that would take about two to five minutes in their dead time. So that was, that was great. You know, it was kind of a nice to have. Um, but for this group, these Ingress users, um, the ones that got their hand on this tool that saw, hey, I can get, you know, two times the items if I actually memorize these gestures, um, they, they saw such a benefit in it that they were reviewing 400, 500 cards a day. Um, and so that gave us a great indication that, wow, these people, we didn't even know about this group, but they really uh, like this product and they really feel like they have a need for it. Um, so that was kind of one, the way we identified that group for us. Okay. So, you know, coming back to one thing you said though, you know, finding something that's like really, really in, in demand for a small group of people. Don't you think that's also very, very difficult for a lot of people to do? I mean, 
you know, coming up with those unique ideas um, is quite rare. You know, coming up with the groundbreaking product is quite rare. Um, and yet you don't have to do that just to come up with a successful software product, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do kind of advocate that what you can do is look at something that is working, you know, in another market or something, you know, something that's uh, maybe runs on a different platform or, or something that's very old fashioned. Um, and then reinvent that and take it to a new market or take it to a different population or make it more modern or slicker or, or whatever. Um, and you know, by, by doing that, you've already proved, you already know that it, the market is there, you know, mm-hmm. and ready for it. Um, and you know, by making it more, um, it making it fit this newer market, then you, you already have like half the work done. You already know there's an appetite there for it. And so all you've got to do is build it and obviously deliver it. You see where I'm going with that? So yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think that there's definitely a lot of different ways to come up with good ideas. And, um, one way is kind of like taking an existing product or technology from an existing industry and reapplying it to a new market. And I think that's a very good, a very good one, but uh, definitely not the only one. Right. And, um, and kind of what you said, even in the same industry, if I could take a product, um, and just even slightly improve it, um, but find people f- for which that slight advantage um, is actually very meaningful, um, then you can really still have an amazing product. I mean, I, I hate to use examples like these because I think that they're part of the driver why people think that startups are easy when they're very, very much not. But take an Instagram, for example. Um, you know, there were lots of photo sharing applications out there um, before Instagram came on the scene. This wasn't like a, a a new thing, but they kind of slightly tweaked this kind of filtering system and uh, seems like a pretty small uh, feature difference. Um, but for some reason that was kind of the thing that really took, took off for them. Um, and I think that that's particularly um, a useful way to think about, you know, B2B businesses and SaaS businesses, because sometimes small features for large companies uh, accrue big benefits to the bottom line. The, the way, you know, I, I interviewed um, Chuck Longenecker the other day um, mm-hmm. and we were talking about this very thing and he, you know, he has, he came up with two concepts which really struck me. Um, and, you know, the first one um, was friction. You know, if you can work out, you know, how to make, or how to remove the friction of using something um, and make things simpler then you'll increase adoption and obviously you'll improve the, the emotional side of using something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second thing is what he said was that, you know, that, um, you know, our life is all about experiences and experiences, you know, form, you know, the fabric of our sort of existence, as it were, you know, and it's the more you can um, touch or have an impact on someone's experience with something, then the more they'll become engaged with it and and use it. And, you know, so you can actually, if you can find a product that's selling now, um, and work out how to reduce the friction and how to improve the engagement and the, and the user's experience of it to such a degree that it makes it fun, interesting, um, or valuable to them, then I think that's one of the core, you know, mm-hmm. fundamentals to making the, the really successful app. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Chuck's a smart guy and, and I tend to agree with him. Um, and def- definitely on this one as well, where 
Um, it is interesting that startups these days are um, finding you know, user experience um, to be one of the most important parts of the company. You know, when, when I used to see companies start, it was, do you have you know, two engineers or three engineers and one business guy? And that was kind of a recipe for a good company. It's funny now that people look at the, the VCs look at the world and even other entrepreneurs look at the world and they think of, okay, um, what I need to start my company is you know, a software designer, a business guy, and uh, a user experience designer. Um, and, and it's very interesting. I, that's definitely Chuck's approach to the world, um, given kind of how he approaches his businesses. Um, but but I, I concur with it. I think that, um, you know, I'm going to be a, a little bit of a hypocrite because I think Membrite right now is definitely not the easiest thing to use in the world. Um, but we, we, view, we view our approach uh, to go that way very quickly. You know, we want to make this a tool that's easier than all other ways um, to put in information and to, you know, commit things to memory, um, as just an example. So I, I, I agree. And I guess, you know, to, to your credit though, as well, that, um, the other thing about something like Membrite is you need to get something out there working and get feedback before <laughs> you ha- make it perfect in terms of the, the UX and everything else, you know, yeah, because I mean- you've got a concept there that you're really trying to prove, in the market. And I, I actually think it's, it's very important to get it out there, get the feedback and then, you know, look at the UX side of things. T- totally. Yeah. To me, those things are, are not only non-exclusive, but they build on each other. Mm-hmm. So the only way for you to get good user experience, and I'm sure Chuck would back this up is to have users use it. Right? The, the only way for you to know whether they're going to click on this button or that button or where their eyes are going to focus or if they're going to find this specific, you know, way that you display the analytics to be um, intuitive or not intuitive is, is for you to put that in front of a user and look over his shoulder and see what he does. Um, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that, that you're the super user and you're going to, to design it for yourself and therefore everyone else is going to love that. Um, that's not how the world works. And that's generally not how product design is done now. The, the other thing that I think, you know, when I'm talking to people who, who are working on their startup and all that, sometimes they get so focused on the UX on, uh, and on building the perfect product that's going to build this amazing experience that they forget like marketing 101. You know, they forget about some of the, the core fundamentals like, you know, getting traffic, Mm-hmm. Um, getting a lead capture, you know, mm-hmm. actually getting leads, um, and then creating a funnel, you know, mm-hmm. so you can actually sell these things. And I think sometimes that a lot of this bread and butter marketing stuff, which, you know, every business online now is implementing, um, just gets overlooked. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how good your product is, you have to get these core fundamentals in place to actually get eyeballs on the product to start with. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Um, I also think there's an interesting evolution going on within the marketing world. When I, when I went back to school um, or, or when I went to school in the first place, um, you know, MIT had, had a, has actually a very famous marketing department. And that's because as opposed to the rest of the world at the time, which was thinking, you know, about beautiful pictures and great commercials and funny messages and stuff like that. MIT was thinking very quantitatively about um, how do we set the right metrics? How do we um, measure people's engagement? How do we, um, you know, you know, frame things the right way to 
increase the amount of acceptance of a message. Um, and I, I was really uh, steeped in that in that ethos and, and kind of learned a lot from a guy, Dan Ariely. Uh, Particularly Irrational yeah. is his book. Um, it's a great book and it, it teaches you about how to basically trick users to, into um, into accepting your, your product and your pricing and all those things. Um, but I was saying as kind of a more, uh, you know, a broader view of the world, startup marketing has become an extremely quantitative art form where you have to, like you said, know what your funnel is, measure every single interaction. Um, and, you know, we use a, a company called Mixpanel um, to, to mark exactly where the user came in from, you know, when they engaged, which button they clicked, um, how deep they got into the product, how many cards they reviewed, how many decks they added. Um, and these are key metrics for us to figure out. Are we being successful with this set group of people? Is this marketing message collecting the right type of people? Um, is our product working with, with taking people through the funnel? So even though we are really early on in this stuff, this is um, the, the the mentality that we have as as entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Well, look, awesome. It's been really fascinating chatting to you. Um, what, um, what advice would you give sort of entrepreneurs sort of starting out? Where should they start? Where should they start? So the first thing I would do is um, taking the idea itself and trying to create um, some representation of that idea without actually building much of anything and going out and market testing that, right? Trying to find um, some of those users that we talked about, some of those people that we expect might become those uh, kind of um, extreme early adopters that are going to love this product so much that they're going to be mad if you took it away. How do I I get my product in front of those people as quickly as possible, or even just the idea of the product and see if they're connecting with it. Um, and from there, I might start to build out a little bit of an MVP and test that and just incrementally build as, um, as I get pulled from the market. Awesome. It's been a pleasure and honor having you on board. Um, and you know, if anyone wants to follow up, how should they get in touch with you? So they can email me directly at austin at membrite. That's M-E-M-B-R-I-G-H-T dot com. And I'm happy to field any questions. Brilliant. And, and obviously go to membrite.com, have a look at the app, but bear in mind it's an alpha stage. And, but I'm sure, um, I'm sure Austin would love some feedback on that. Yeah. We love, we love feedback. So, uh, every time anyone uses it, please send us a note and let us know how it can be better. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Austin. I really appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure, Paul. If you enjoyed the show, you can get the show notes from disruptware.com. And if you are not a subscriber and you're listening to this on the iTunes store, then please visit disruptware.com and sign up. That's it for this episode. Look out for next week's show. I'm Paul Clifford, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Disruptware podcast. Check us out on the web at disruptware.com.